You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Does the force need to die or can we save it? Guys, we are going to be talking today about my favorite game of all time, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2. This is Systematic Geekology. We are the priests of the geeks. I'm your host for this evening, this morning, whenever you're listening to this, Christian Ashley. I am, of course, joined by the finest, the best, the most wonderful co-host of all time, TJ Blackwell. How are you doing, TJ? Oh, doing great. I've been asleep for most of the day and I'm ready to do something productive. Oh, that sounds wonderful. We are also joined by a special guest today. This being, of course, Adam Bear. Adam, would you please introduce yourself to the audience? Hello, my name is uh, Adam. I'm a fellow geek and a nerd of all things of, of this and many subjects. So I'm really excited to be here and be talking with you guys. Excellent. All right. As we always do with these episodes, we're going to start with asking what everyone's been geeking out on. So I leave that open to you guys to answer first. Man, I've just started reading Akame Ga Kill just because okay. I heard that the ending is different than the anime. Also never watched the anime. It's pretty good so far. I think it's a fine baby's first edgy anime for everyone. I don't particularly care for it, but I'm glad other people do. Mm. Adam, what about you? Uh, I recently have been reading through the uh, Harry Potter Harry Potter books again, and I'm surprised how much I'm enjoying it. I, I think if I've read it. This is like my third time reading through them, and I've enjoyed them in the past, but I'm just really enjoying it this time around for whatever reason. I don't know if it's the innocence of it all and, you know, it, it reminds me of a better time when I was younger or what, but I don't know. I'm really enjoying it this time around. So I've been geeking out about that. I'll never forget my sister and I fighting with our parents to be there for the premiere of the last novel and uh, fighting with her over who got to read it first and how long we got to read it. I love those books so much. They're very near and dear to my heart. But as far as what I've been geeking out on, I had just watched Evil Dead Rise, which is a tremendous flick. Uh, a very worthy successor to the original Evil Dead movies. Now, I will caution, as if you're like me and you're not very happy about blood and gore, which I, I knew it was coming in there because it's an Evil Dead movie, but like it's going to be there in spades. If you don't like those things, I would say to avoid. But as far as the film goes, excellent movie. I love it a lot. Yeah, one of the, one of the best title reads I've seen in years. Mm, most definitely. All right, so let's get into our main topic of discussion today, which of course is Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2. Now, guys, who among you would like to explain what this is and how it is different from the first game? So oh, I can do it. No, I don't. Let me interrupt you. You go ahead. You go ahead and do it. I'm the guest. No, here. you I can't. Step over you. Yeah, you we, sure? We have a guest. I'm here all the time. You know. Well, uh, the short version of it is, I mean, it's it's the second of the two Kotal games that came out before the Old Republic, and it only had about a 14 month development time. And it um, uh, was uh, handed off from uh, Bioware to Odyssey, who has a knack for doing uh, fairly good games in a short period of time. I mean, they also the ones who did uh, Fallout New Vegas, which was hugely popular. And it, it improves uh, narratively on the first game, I think, and it improves um, gameplay-wise on the first game. I think there's plenty of complaints to rage for it. Um, but it follows a separate Jedi that takes place uh, several years after the events of the first game. And we're following kind of the, the aftermath of Revan and uh, kind of following the tale of a new Jedi set in the same time period. And it's a really cool story. Yeah, I agree completely. Obsidian did a really good job with as little time as they had to make this game as 
good as possible because uh, we are dealing with the aftermath, like you said, of Knights of the Old Republic, where we defeated Darth Malak and stopped the Star Forge from producing all these ships from taking over the Republic. And now we're a couple years later and the Republic is still around, but the Sith are starting to come back, it seems. And I love how they set that up. TJ, anything you want to add to that? Just it's to me, it's leagues better than the first one. That's not that popular of an opinion, but it definitely is. I would second that completely. So I think how are you guys introduced? Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Adam. I think one of the coolest things, and this is immediately jumping out at me, is is because this was really one of the first games where you could continue the story from the previous game. You know, Dragon Age hadn't come out yet, neither had Mass Effect. And so this idea yes. of leading from one game to another, and they did it so mass for mass masterfully. Um, with the conversation early on with that and ran where you kind of just yes. go through the events of the last game and establish, I man, I'm still so impressed by that conversation and how natural and uh, uh, non-awkward it felt and how it does affect the rest of the game. Oh, yeah, those dialogue options at the very beginning were a very clever way of doing that. And I really respect that decision. Yeah. All right. So how were you guys introduced to the second game? And was it the first for any of us here? Uh, it was my, it was the first one for me. It's, it's actually like the first video game I have like lucid memories for, except for maybe Turok Evolution. Oh, we just bonded. Which was also good. We just became best friends. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of the Turok games. So. Yeah. What about you, Adam? Um, it was, it was, cause I remember, I have very vivid memories of the first game coming out and everyone talking about it and everyone being excited. And, and for the life of me, I could not find a copy of it anywhere. Um, mm. It was so hard to track down at that point. Um, so when the second game got announced, I immediately pre-ordered. It was the first game I ever pre-ordered. Um, I was really excited about it. And I actually had not played the first game very much compared to when I got the second game. So the second game really was my introduction to the franchise. I think maybe I had beaten the first game once in like a dead mad race. Someone had let me borrow it or something. And so it was like a dead mad race through it. So I didn't really get to explore like I did with Kotar 2. So, yeah. Wow, I'm surprised. Uh, this was, I played the first one first. I was around 13 when it released. And my dad had gotten it for me because, you know, like me, he's a huge Star Wars nerd. And uh, as a dumb 13-year-old, I bungled my way through my first playthrough of that. And then the sequel came out. It's like, of course, I want to do this again. It was so much fun the first time around. So as a slightly older dumb kid, I went through this and had the time of my life. I, I can't imagine going back to KOTOR at one after playing this first. But you know what? You guys did it. Yeah. Well, you know, it was different. <laughs> it was different i mean definitely i don't i don't think a, a second playthrough of kotal um as as meaningful as the second playthrough of kotal 2 like i i feel like once the big reveal happens um you you really you really only have two real playthroughs of kotal 2 of kotal 1 uh you know you have the light side of the dark side playthrough um, with KOTOR 2, there's a little bit more nuance. There's a little bit more to do, you know, trying to get better, stronger affiliations with your companions, you know, having those companions actually go with you on missions. Uh, you know, the fact that you can change some of them into Jedis and how that changes your gameplay. Okay. That, that was enough that I ended up playing through it several more times than I've played through KOTOR uh, 1. 
Yeah, I play I play KOTOR 2 at least once a year. And I've played KOTOR 1, I think I've played it through maybe three or four times. Yeah, I'd say about the same for myself. There's a lot you can do in this game. For the randomization, especially when you, you're able to do it on PC and get the, uh, uh, the uh, restoration mod, and that changes things up immensely. I didn't know there were certain items in the game you, you couldn't have gotten if you weren't a certain level. It's mind-boggling. And thank God for that uh, mind glitch where you can plant 15 mines in one area, move to the next area, plant 15 there, and then move back and back. Even as a kid who had no patience at all, I did that so I could level up. Yeah, I just I didn't start doing that until maybe a couple years ago. And until then, <laughs> I was just enjoying the experience. Well, I discovered it by mistake completely. And so, wait, I just leveled up from something. I accidentally placed this mine here, then moved to a new area and came back. And I leveled up from doing that. I was like, wait, can I get more experience points from doing this? It's like, yeah, yeah, I can. <laughs> and that's definitely a bug. It's not a design in the game. But yeah, so moving on from there, one of the things introduced uh, by later word of God, and for those who know, know what that means, it's like as someone from the development team or someone who created like the original author saying this is something that is in something that I made. And then later canon at that point would be making the Jedi exile canonically female. Now, how do we feel about making a customizable character into a specific person? And have we played as a female exile? I think it's fine, really. And yes, of course I did. Yeah, you did. Adam? Yeah. I, I was actually in my first playthrough. I, I was going through this phase at the time where I was playing RPGs as a girl for, for whatever reason. So uh, my first playthrough was a uh, female guardian with double-bladed lightsabers. And I remember how uh, immensely powerful and fun that was. And heavy armor and everything too. So I wouldn't have very many force powers, but I, I could I could uh, fight them off with the best of them. Yeah, I played male first. And then later on, when I learned the Jedi Exile was canonically female, I was like, huh, that's interesting. And so I went back and played as one. Just, you know, I want to play the canon version of the game. It's kind of like I, one of my gripes against the Elder Scrolls is just how murky things are with past protagonists. Is, and I understand why they do that, because they want you to feel like your character was the character. And if they get specifics into it, that can't happen. But as far as a KOTOR 2 is concerned, it's very uh rewarding and enriching playing on the female side of things. Uh, the only other thing I have against it is that you can't bring handmaiden with you as a female exile. Mm -hmm. You get stuck with disciple who yeah, and yeah. Michael, who, he's okay, but it pales in comparison to handmaiden Brianna. So yeah, I, like I have no issue with this whatsoever. It makes perfect sense for why a female Jedi could be the main lead of something. I know there was a lot of outcry when it originally happened and I just rolled my eyes and moved on with my life. What about you guys? Yeah, I didn't really care much at all. I was like, that's cool. Disciple is lame, but that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I was. he was very confusing to me because he didn't make sense. And I understand why they made him a soldier class um, because, you know, they wanted him to parallel uh, the handmaiden really well, who was a soldier class. Um, yeah. But it never made sense to me that he would be such a, a scholar and be such an intelligent person, and yet he would be uh, – you know, a combat class. I really think he should have been a scout or a scoundrel and then gone into being a sentinel versus a guardian. So thematically that always bothered me. He didn't make sense in his play style versus his characterization. And that always bothered me. So I never liked using him. Yeah. Well, you yeah, know, Plato was a wrestler. <laughs> and Diogenes. 
And it's such a thing as a genius bruiser. But I understand completely what you're saying, Adam. It's like I never leveled him up for anything. I never used him for anything if I didn't have to. I never brought him the ducks in later on or had him on Onderon or anything else. Like he he was there. It's like I, I care a little bit about you, but not enough to put you on a team. Like uh, you're on this council, but we don't give you the rank of master, essentially. Mm. That's how I felt about that. Mm. So I asked TJ and I this last time. Uh, but Adam, since you're here as well, let me ask, uh, did you gravitate towards the light of the dark side in your playthroughs? And if so, why? Uh, I think it just depended on the mood. The first time I played it, I did light side because that's usually my rule of thumb in moral choice games is to go on the good path first. Um, and then, but I have way, the irony is I have way more vivid memories of playing it through dark side because my first dark side playthrough, that was the playthrough where I figured out that you could make your companions Jedi's. Um, so that became a really fun sub goal and it's really easy as a dark side character. I had so much trouble doing any of it as a light side character, but as a dark side, heavy force wielding character, um, it was so easy to influence my companions. So by the end I had several of them were the Jedi, several of them were Jedis. And that was pretty cool to have just this group of dark force wielding Jedis, including Anne Maiden, of course, was a, would became a dark force wielding Jedi. Yes. It's also DJ. easier. Like just in general, dark side is easier because it's cheaper to use force storm, which is just the best force power. Oh, absolutely. You just run in force storm. It does, you know, a it thousand didn't damage. Time, force storm again. Do it again. You've spent like 12 force points up to this point. Do it again. Now you've started to notice that your bar is going down. <laughs> it was just too easy. But yeah. Go ahead, TJ. Yeah. I always played on light side. Uh, Light side or just my like the choice that I would make, which is light side. Just not super, super light side. But uh, now I do try, if I decide to go one way or the other, I try to take it all the way to either extreme so I can go into the cave on Korriban. Mm -hmm. So it also makes your character stat screen look better. Very true. Yeah, I think I shared this on the last episode we did, but I was not allowed to be on the dark side when I was a kid. Which, you know, I think that's just part of my parents saying like, hey, make these good moral choices because that's what you should be doing in life. And still to this day, I can't even think about doing some of those dark sided actions. It just feels so I, even, I know they're not real, but after spending so much time with all these characters, they feel real to me. So I just can't bear to see them hurt. So, yeah, I still remain light side all the way. Uh, I know the dark side gets some really cool things like one of the lightsaber crystals that you can get. It was pretty cool, uh, like Caloxia, whatever it is. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. Okay, as well, one of the things, like the first game, we have a ton of really great companions to act as your core cast for this game. Like, is there one in particular that you guys were more drawn to than others? I mean, for me, HK-47 is one of my favorite characters in Star Wars canon, period. Um, I love his comments. I love his characterization. I love his voice actor. I meant to look up his voice actor. Uh, I just love everything about the character and how he plays. And um, I would look for any reason, whether I'm good or dark. Uh, I think my one of my biggest contentions about um, Kotar 2 is how much more difficult it is to get him uh, and have him through the portion of the game. I think that's my biggest contention because he's sitting right there. And all I want to do is hear him refer to people as meatbag. 
and I can't. <laughs> and that's really disappointing to me how tough it would be. Yeah. I think there was a couple playthroughs where I would actually, because I think, I don't know if it's still the case, but I know that if you're a Nalshadar, you could miss a piece. There are ways to miss piece, and you could go the entire game without reactivating it. And that would happen to me on some playthroughs. I would forget to grab something or I'd forget to take one of those crucial steps. And I would miss out on that game, that playthrough, and I'd be really disappointed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Bowder. Really? Bowder is always with me. Always. Walk me through that. He's just cool, man. What do you mean, walk you through it? He's the coolest. It's got uh, a, I was going to ask another arm. question as well. Okay. Okay. No, I respect it. Uh, me. I ha- it was hard to limit myself to this answer. HK47 is a great answer as well. But I chose Mira for mine. I love her introduction as this bounty hunter with a heart of gold who is like, hey, like idiot, you really don't know what you're doing here. Like you don't understand how to play this game. You just kind of bungled your way into starting a war between the bounty hunters over you. Uh, and then finding out later on that you can turn her into a Jedi. You can have this really gruff person who doesn't want to get close to people and then find that there's, a, like I said, a heart of gold in there that actually wants to help others and inspire others and turning into a Jedi. I love that so much. Her rivalry with Hanhar has always been a lot of fun. I've never had Hanhar as a companion, obviously, because you have to be dark sided for that. But I love Mira. I love, like I said before, I love Handmaiden as two uh, for her journey of breaking out from her family, being this outcast, even though she looks identical to her sisters. <laughs> she, she, uh, because of how Ichani worked, she had a different mother, right? Or a different father. I, I'd have to re- re-look it up. One of the two. And because of that, even though she looks identical, they can still tell the differences we can't. And her journey to become a Jedi as well. Uh, of course, my boy, Candace is there. Can never get mad about him. And see, T3 is just a reliable to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. is okay uh, so do we have a least favorite companion besides Michael least Hanhar okay what about Hanhar, Hanhar? Me. Mira, okay. Mira was just such a better option and you know you could only get one of the two depending on your affiliation so every dark side playthrough I, I end up with Hanhar and I'm like wow that's super useful and then he's never in my party again <laughs> how about you Adam uh, the, 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 I can't remember his name. It's completely eluding me. The, uh, the droid, the, not the, the. Oh, Goto. T3 and 4? Goto. Yeah. Uh, not the droid, the, the flying medical. Yeah, Goto. Ball. The woods just flew at my brain. They're just gone. Um, the black medical ball, that, that yes. was a companion that I was like, I already have two other droids. Why would I bring this floating ball with me? That's perfectly fair. And I forgot to mention, how can I f- forget Kraya, sorry, as like favorite characters here? She's not my favorite, but I really love her despite sometimes being like, I really want to strangle you, old woman. But like, I completely get where you're coming from, too. But as far as least favorites go, I get to disappoint you, TJ. Bayadur is on that list. Um, yeah, he would be on mine, too. He, That's I, ridiculous. Yeah, it, there's that whole thing. You break the shield with this arm. That's pretty fun as a gameplay mechanic. I, I really enjoy the history he has with the Jedi exile and that brings more depth to him in my opinion. But as far as the gameplay goes, he's almost never in my party. Uh, I don't even think I send him to Duxon at certain parts of the game when you can do that. I still turn him into a Jedi because more Jedi is better, but that'd be about it for him in my opinion. He's a, he's a really, really good Jedi Sentinel. Go ahead, Adam. When I played him, the only way you could effectively get him when I played it, this has been a minute. It's been a minute. I actually started downloading it last night. 
I'm like, I should play through that again. It's been a while. Um, when I played it, you pretty much could only get him to be a Jedi if he was your only companion for huge portions of the game. And so that was kind of a turnoff for me to deal with him because I'm like, uh, I want to be able to, I, I like the whole concept, the whole companion concept. And I like this. I, it always makes more sense to me that you would have these adventures with multiple people. Um, so it was always, I, I was always dis, dissuaded from using him because to get him to be a Jedi, at least at that time in the game's history, you would basically have to run him by yourself. Yeah. I didn't like that. Yeah. As far as that companion affinity system is like as it's very early in gaming, having something like that. Like you mentioned Dragon Age and Mass Effect later on. It's like they would build off of what was being created here. And I really like that. Although, of course, well, every time you around, have a conversation um, with Kreia, like it's you get that message almost every single time you have a conversation with Kreia. It's influence gain, influence lost, dark side yeah. points gain, dark <laughs> light side points gain. <laughs> yes, go ahead, Adam. I was going to say, it's a really cool system that started, like the first game I remember doing that was Borders Gate, which was actually a Bioware game as well. Um, um, so it was really, you know, it was really cool to see that. And it's all based off of, this is all based off of D&D engines. So uh, Kotal 1 and 2 are based, I think it's like, th- not third edition, like second edition or something like that. 3-5. Uh, um, yeah, something like that. So it's all based off of that D&D engine. And it makes sense that they would have companions be such a huge part of it because it is based off D&D, which is made to be played with other people. Yeah. The games got exponentially easier for me when I realized that because I was just looking through the uh, I was looking through the action log one day. And if you ever look at it, it'll tell you like what you rolled for things. And I was like, oh, interesting. And then suddenly all of the numbers in the game made sense. I was like, oh, critical range. It's, you know, if I get between 18 and 20, I get a critical hit. It was it was a game changer. Yeah, it took an embarrassingly long amount of time before I figured out how that system worked. I'm talking like in my 20s. Yeah, but it also, it, when it was time for me to start playing D&D, it made that easier too. Yeah, it's, I wish I'd done what you did and look at the action log because that would have made D&D a lot easier when I started doing that too. Yeah, yeah. So if you're looking to get into D&D, possibly play with us. Um, play Knights play mm-hmm. of the Old Republic too. Oh, yes. All right, so we've talked about our companions. And what about other NPCs? Is there anyone that we kind of gravitated towards as well? Mm-hmm. And I know there's a large cast it could be someone who shows up for one scene. If you don't have an answer, that's okay. There's a lot to pare down. Uh, oh, what's his name? It starts with an M. The Authorian from uh, Telos that runs. Uh, well, there's Chodo Habat. Yeah, Chodo Habat. Yeah. I've always loved Chodo Habat. The way he talks, I'm, I, I make that sound all the time. <laughs> all the time. I just, I don't know why. It's just so funny to me. You need more time to think out of I can tell mine. No, no one sticks out other than the one lady, the uh, handmaiden's mother. I thought oh, that was such a cool interaction between the two characters. And it's such a cool, well-written scene where you're like, your, your, your choices unfold this narrative of your character's backstory. And it, the way that that's playing out in front of you, I always thought was really, really cool. So I think she was probably yeah. one of my favorites. I can't tell you how long I tried to, how much time I spent replaying that conversation, trying to get my lightsaber from her. Um, mm. It never worked out. <laughs> yeah, Atris is a really great 
NPC in this game, a very great character of showing how easy it is to fall to darkness without realizing it. Like that line Craya gives her, uh, I, I, I'm going to butcher it if I say it, but it's that gist of what I said earlier. It's like you, you get on this path and you think you're in the right, but you've just been in the darkness for so long. And she surrounded herself with that and to see her move. And actually there's some hints in the game that Kraya may actually be the mother of Handmaiden in her past life. Kraya isn't obviously her name. She may be someone they mentioned called Aaron K. So that could be something like it's not confirmed. I think Avalon, that one of the developers said, uh, that is a cool idea. I didn't intend it, but that's pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah, I love Atris a lot. Mine actually is a guy you meet for one scene. And it's when you're on Dantooine, you're going to cave, to the cave to rescue uh, Vruk, uh, right? Lamar, that, mm-hmm. the one uh, always obstinate Jedi who's always got to be in your face about stuff. And you meet this Twi'lek who's just roaming around. And his name is Arnell. And in conversation with him, you find out he's force sensitive. And like you have this moment of you can rat him out. Uh, you can take his uh, pheromone that he has that's preventing him from being killed by the Kenrath in there. Or you can like say, I'm going to keep your secret. I just found him so fascinating, this guy who's working with these people while he has this own, if they ever found out, he would be taken too. Yeah, no, he was cool. I've, he died a lot for me. Really? Uh, yeah, I think that's a common bug. That somehow like it doesn't work like it's supposed to in game and like the Kenrath will start trying to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sure I figured it out. I remember it used to. He just died like every time. All right. So one of the best parts of any Jedi game is obviously going to be using your lightsaber. Like, do we have any specific loadouts we use, like lightsaber crystals? How do we customize them? Like armor as well, like, or robes? Uh, I always, always uh, try to use, like, the character crystal. Yes. The one that's named after you. Uh, And I really like orange and silver. So I'll usually pick up two lightsabers and go orange and silver and build on crit chance. I can't remember what the crystals are called ever, but you know, yeah, I, I like a, a high crit build. That's a good I'll one. Expand that range, put on the uh, focusing lens. Almost definitely. Yeah. How about uh, you go robes or armor? I usually go robes. Uh, by the end of the game, like I'm not role playing anything. I'm just going to walk in force storm a bunch of times Swing the lightsabers if I'm feeling frisky. <laughs> I, you know, I don't, I don't really get hit a lot by the end of the game. So fair enough, Adam. Um, well, when I first played it, I played it through uh, as a guardian with double bladed lightsabers, like I mentioned. I um, mean, I did armor. I did not know that force. I didn't know about force jump. Um, so I did not realize it. It didn't take effect if you were wearing armor. Um, gotcha. so I didn't actually learn about that ability till after I had beaten both Kotal one and Kotal two as guardians with Almer. And I, someone showed me later on, I'm like, Oh, I was missing out on that. So from that point on, I pretty much used robes, um, whether I was a guardian or a sentinel, uh, a sentinel, sentinel, no, not a sentinel, which was the one because there's, I can't, I'm having a brain fog. So there's Guardian, and then there's Council, and then Sentinel. Sentinel is the pure force, right? Uh, Counselor is the pure force. Counselor. So I would usually build a character based off of either the Guardian or the Counselor. Because I really liked, even as a light side, I liked the pure force build. 
um, because they actually didn't need a lightsaber at all. They were melee, for whatever reason, their uh, hand-to-hand melee profile was pretty beastly on their own. Um, and you would still have some pretty cool force powers that were not uh, damage dealing. So uh, most of my playthroughs were one of the two. Um, you know, uh, I, I didn't do double blade, dual wielding lightsabers in the second game because that was such a huge staple of my first playthrough of Kota 1 was my Revan my first Revan actually did the, the double bladed lightsabers the dual wielding lightsabers so I had an, always always had an issue doing it in the second game if I did do it in the second game it was the regular lightsaber and then the short lightsaber um mm. would be the would be the combination so yeah DJ I forgot to ask uh did you go sentinel counselor like watchman weapon master uh, I would go consular. So me, I went normally Sentinel and Watchman, not for any mechanic reasons for the Watchman part, but for the Sentinel, I'm fairly certain they're the ones who get the most skill points. And I'm a skill monkey by nature. So I want to put the most as much as I can into a certain stat. That's why even though I know it was detrimental, I always increased my intelligence above any other stat in the game. There's so many better options than doing what I do, but it's to have fun. So as far as lightsabers are concerned, I always did my own crystal as well, uh, named after your character, like TJ said. Then I would pair that normally with the Solari crystal, which is the light-sided option you get because there's a dark-sided crystal and a light-sided crystal that are specific to those. If you are dark-sided, you cannot take this and vice versa. Then for the next one... I would normally take, I think it's the, yeah, Ankari's Sapphire and then the Kyber Crystal and combine them for my second lightsaber. I did two lightsabers of the same size and bonded them together. I don't really think about the the lenses and all that. Whatever was the best one to do more damage, probably. Now, as far as armor, I always went with like the Jal Shea or the Zaytan Shah armors, which were armors made so you could cast the force in armor. As opposed to other versions, which you shouldn't, you can't, you can't do it because of gameplay mechanics, because that way it just felt kind of cool to be in armor and then like force storming people, force storming people, even though I'm on the light side, because I think you can do that. We talked about Grey Jet on the last game uh, we discussed, but yeah, that's, that's how I decked out. Yeah, those are awesome. I did almost always put on the rebreather and keep it on for the, <laughs> the whole playthrough. All right. Well, you never know when you might cool. end up in the Jack Jack Tar again. Yeah, yep, you know. Just in case. But yeah, it was just called Sith Master or Jedi Master okay. and Sith Lord. Gotcha. Yeah, because there's Assassin and something else on the Sith side. Yeah, I know them very little because Marauder. I never did it. Marauder. Thank you. That was the Watchmen. Oh, the reason I picked Watchmen is because when I learned like there are Jedi assigned to a certain sector of space and their job is to find force sensitive people. That sounds like so much fun. That's exactly what I would want to do. And so like, I don't know if it pairs up well mechanically. I'd have to look things up, but I always went Sentinel- and then Watchmen because it just sounded cool to me. Yeah. If I, if I wasn't playing a Jedi Master, if I am going to be a Sith, I'm going to be a Sith that's a, a assassin. Oh, yeah. All right. So like the last game, we have plenty of planets that we got to explore in KOTOR 2. Like you guys have a favorite one to go to, and we'll talk about least favorites after that. I love uh, going to Nar Shaddaa. It's To me, it's like one of the most fun parts of the game. Oh, there's so much you can do there. There's so much. I mean, you can just bungle around, you know, trying to figure out what's going on, trying to find what well, says, says Kyle, I think is mm-hmm. the Jedi master there, like finding the 
well, it's not the syndicate, it's um, the exchange. I'm thinking of Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, the exchange. So much fun. Yeah, it's so good. And if you read yeah, as <laughs> I've never done this, but I've seen video of people doing it. That one time you get attacked by thugs and you have that dark sided option of force persuading them to jump <laughs> down yeah. to their deaths. It's like, <laughs> man, I, I, I'm never going to do this. But that temptation always appears whenever the option <laughs> is shown. Yeah, no, I definitely have done that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've done it. I've done it. You know. And they're asking for it. You're going to start a fight yeah. with me right here. You're going to oh, yell yeah. at me. I'm just trying to enjoy a nice walk around the city. <laughs> and you can also find that one merchant there who sells the HK pacifist program <laughs> to install and like wreck his world for a little bit. It's so has some has some of the funniest dialogue in Star Wars total in video games as a total. All right. Uh, we'll get to least favorites later. Adam, what about your favorite planet? I always liked Korriban, believe it or not. I, I like the narrative layout of it because you go through that back cave and you have so much, you unlocking so much of the backstory of your character and even the backstory of Revan, which I think is really interesting um, because I do have a fondness for Revan as a character. Uh, so that was fun for me. Um, I think that would probably be my favorite planet just because of the, the story aspect of it and what it unlocks as you, you know, as the story unfolds. Well, it makes perfect sense too why it's abandoned and lifeless after, you know, Sith Academy is no longer there as far as you know, students and teachers because the Republic has won and they've beaten the Sith back and all that's left behind are the dead and the force goes around them. And of course, the hisses, those giant crocodile <laughs> reptiles that there is totally an exploit you can use to in one chamber to uh, touch a corpse which you're told by Kraya not to do and they'll reappear over and over again which gives you infinite XP I never used that why would I be talking about that <laughs> I did do that one a few times um, I think it's such a cool interesting narrative structure too because you know whether you were a good Revan or a bad Revan to see how the universe see how it didn't change anything um between the two games is actually a really cool narrative structure. And it's, and, it, and it's kind of a fun, interesting co- conversation of futility almost. It, um, because whether you're a good Revan or a bad Revan, Revan, you still find everything the way it is. And that's kind of interesting to me. And it, uh, I, I liked it. I didn't think it was a bad way to go, you know, and I think they did a good job in conversation, justifying it through, you know, a lot of it was done through Kraya and the conversation with Atten. You know, so that was really cool to me. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a really good point to make because one person can only do so much. It's like, yeah, you're the hero, but, you know, crime's still going to happen on this world. Like people, people's lives are still going to get lost here because Revan has to leave. We find out later on in the game to do other things, to try and find the true Sith. And, but as far as Korriban is concerned, I also really love our real, I mean, truly our first confrontation with Darcyon like lightsaber to lightsaber, if I remember correctly. And then finding mm-hmm. out, man, no matter how many times I put this guy down, he keeps coming back up. That's terrifying. That's disturbing. After he's yeah. been chasing you this whole game. That's a really great moment there. Now, as far as I'm concerned, favorite planet, uh, it's not Dantooine. It's not Telos. It's definitely not Malachor 5. Uh, I, I may I may give it to Onderon and Duxon. I know that's a slog for some people going through them. 
But I love because I mean, it brings up earlier lore established in the comics that these games were based off of uh, the Mandalorians and the confrontation on Ron and how the Sith had a presence there back in the day. As you later return there with some of your companions, they're actually fighting in your stead on your behalf over there on Duxin while you're attacking on Onderon. And then the, the conflict there of between the Civil War. And I, I, I love Kavar a lot. He's one of my favorite NPCs, too. Unfortunately, he goes the path of the other Jedi Masters in the game, and they fall back on old instincts and try and take you away from the Force. But that's another thing. But like, uh, I love my Mandalorians. I love my Jedi-Sith conflict. And you get both on Duxin and Onderon. Now, how about least favorites? I, I don't know if I really have a least favorite. Oh, that's fair. Okay, go for it. Talos. I hate it, man. Talos. Oh, such a drag. You just just the one uh, running back and forth and I mean you've already bought you've already been through you've already been through the mines. I can't for the life of me I can't remember. Yeah, I've not what was the Paragus. name of the, the beginning what? Paragus. Yeah, you've already been to Paragus, which was a slog in itself. A lot of running back and forth. I like the narrative struck of Paragus. Um, but then you have this like one more step before you feel like one more gate before the game opens up. And uh, that always, it always really bothers me. The, the, oh, uh, you know, you, you get there and immediately you get captured. Then you're sitting in a, in a jail cell and then you have to, then you wait in the jail cell for a little bit. Someone comes in, then you get sent to another room after you fight that guy off. And you have to wait two more times as two more people come in and talk to you. And then you have to either do the exchange side quest or you have to help the citizens of the planet side quest. And it just, it, it really is just a slog for me. And usually if I'm going to bail out of a playthrough, that's where it's, that's what happens. Is in <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? That is totally fair. Yeah. The, uh, the ringtone on the console in the room you're placed in house arrest is, is my actual ringtone. <laughs> Ooh, that's pretty good. I like it. Yeah. Telos 4 can be, it's a slog because it's still early game. You don't have your as many Jedi powers yet. You still don't have a lightsaber. And I'm glad none of us said Paragus, even though it's probably our true answer along the way. It's like how many times we have to replay that scene. Yeah. Tilos 4, as far as, once again, as lore is concerned, I really love everything that's going on there of uh, it being Karth original planet and him wanting to defend it. And then you see the different biospheres they're trying to create the uh, Zerka doing their shifty things on this end and the authorians trying to actually save this planet and not just market the heck out of it. I love all that too. But as far as least favorites are concerned, and I know some people are going to be upset, but Malachor five is one of my least favorites because it's a very indic. We talked earlier, Adam, you brought up how this game was rushed and this is that part of the game where I really see it. Once again, this is a lifeless world. There's very few things there besides storm beasts, but part of this is a personal irk and that I didn't find all the storm beasts the first time I played through. And then you have to play as remote, uh, Bayodur's remote. And then you get destroyed because you're a level one remote versus the storm beasts. And of course you're not going to win. And it's hard to lock out of the fight to actually do what you're there to do because you're 13 or 14 and dumb and you don't know what's going on. So I, there's some personal bias there. I'll just say, yeah, you didn't level up remote in your playthrough. <laughs> If only. If only. Um, 
Go ahead. I, I think my favorite part about Malachor 5 is when you're fighting through the temple after Kraya and you're just fighting all these dark acolytes as you go. That was always a fun fight for me. Just the endless nice waves. Yeah, a nice callback to the Starforge as well. Like you're going through all these Sith acolytes trying to kill you. And then you keep going and going and like nothing is stopping you because at this point in the game, you are the unstoppable force and nothing is going to get in your way. I love it so much. All right. So in contrast to the last game, we are not revealed to be some brainwashed Sith Lord who used to be in charge of everything. Instead, as we establish more lore of what happened with the Mandalorian War, we were one of many renegade Jedi who left the Order and tried to put a stop to the Mandalorian War because we wanted to save lives and the Jedi were refusing to do anything. And we specifically gave the orders to destroy Malachor V because of the Mandalorian presence there, which actually ended the war. We then willingly came back as opposed to everyone else to be judged by the Jedi Order for what happened there. Like, How do we feel about how this game portrays the desire to seek repentance? And what are our thoughts about how the Exile's characterization is handled? Well, you know, it's all up to you, really. Yeah, that's it? Yeah, I mean, it's up to me. I wrote it. I did a great (laughs) job. Fair enough. I mean, I liked it. Being as someone who I I like to play, you know, I come from an acting background and characterization background. So it's really fun for me to RP um, these characters and having that same character you know, go through the story different ways, starting off on the footing of, oh, they came back as a bad Jedi or uh, they came back as a Sith or a dark Jedi, or they came back as a, you know, a broken, repentful Jedi. Either story is really compelling and really interesting as it goes through the story. I mean, I've had playthroughs where I came back as a dark Jedi with a red lightsaber, but yet then played through the rest of the game as a light side character. And even though the, the changes are subtle, it does make for a compelling narrative, even through the, you know, the fourth or the fifth playthrough. So that was always fun for me. I really appreciate that. Uh, where do we learn this? Is it, do we get the footage? We get the footage on Telos four after we leave Atrus's uh, mm-hmm. place, right? Yeah. And we see the trial that we had. Uh, we give the option of seeing it because I think there's some people who've never seen this before that played the game. If I remember correctly, you have the option to not watch it. Yeah. And you see like out of all the Jedi that went to war, you're the only one who came back. And that's because if you uh, look into KOTOR 1 and other stuff, like that's because they all fell to the dark side and joined up with Revan to fight against the Republic. What is it about me that unlike everyone else, I resisted that call and part of it is what we'll get to in a second is that wound of the force kind of thing is kind of affecting us but it's also what is what about me as a person why did i reject that fall why did i come back even though i knew i was doing the right thing to save these people from destruction from the mandalorian threat why did i come back yeah well i think the exile just had a really nice apartment on coruscant (laughs) (laughs) It's like just sign a six month lease and like just can't get yeah. rid of that responsibility. Yeah. yeah. Their galactic credit score would go down. Oh, absolutely. Especially after disappearing for so long. Yeah. I know for yeah, me as a like, for playing it as a light side, it, my logic would be, you know, the character came back because just as much as they disobeyed the Jedi Order because they thought they were doing the right thing. They also know the rules of the Jedi, so they would come back because that would be the rules. You know, facing responsibility for their choices was part of my character's uh, characterization when playing it through as a light side. 
Mm. I think there's that really great scene when you finally reunite all the Jedi masters and they're trying to remove you from your ability to harness the force. And Kreia comes in, wipes the floor with them and says, you fools have learned nothing. The exile came back here because she is really the only Jedi left <laughs> as far as Kreia is concerned. And obviously Bastila is still out there as we find in the game. But like, unlike the rest of you, she fought to protect people, then came back to face judgment for breaking the rules to like make amends for what happened. And like, you have learned nothing from her example. And that's why I'm murdering you right now because all no surprise, uh, Kreia was a Sith the whole time. Who could have imagined that with the way she talked? That was subtle. Uh, And like, I don't even care that it wasn't subtle because I love her a lot. Uh, This cranky old woman who's probably going to be me when I get to be that age. It's like, can't you idiots just do what I tell you to do? Uh, we'll get to her in a moment. But what we find is one of the reasons why they're so afraid of us is because as a result of our actions in destroying Malachor 5 with the uh, Shadow Pulse Generator or whatever it is Beodur creates, uh, we give the order that that happens. And as a result of that happening, all the Mandalorians dying, all the Jedi dying on that planet and the Republic soldiers, we are now a wound in the Force. And that has caused us to cause our companions to follow us without even thinking about what they would normally do without questioning some of the orders that we give. And what, what are our thoughts about this development and how does it help differentiate the exile from Revan? I think it's a really, really good gameplay mechanic. Yeah. Like an actual reason why they just listen to you. Um, but it's, it's really interesting because it, it makes the exile in Revan a really compelling parallel Really, you've got the same thing going on for very different reasons. Yeah, Revan's just that persuasive and a great leader. You are because you're affecting these people's minds and causing them to deny aspects they would normally like talk out against. That's dark. Even if you're a light-sided Jedi in this game through playthrough, that's dark. Go ahead, Adam. Uh, well, I was just thinking uh, – just, I just want to agree with a lot of the things you're saying. It creates for such an interesting parallel because Revan, Revan is charismatic. No matter what you play for, he's a charismatic character. Um, and to have this kind of like other character, and it's so fun how uh, the exile parallels the other Sith Lords almost. You know what I mean? You know, I'm thinking yeah. of uh, – his name's Nihilus, right? Darth Nihilus or something yes. like that. Um, how he's kind of this open wound and void as well, you know what I mean? And it's just kind of like an interesting narrative parallel that no matter what character you build, they really are reflections of these Sith Lords that you're fighting against. Most yeah. definitely. Like the triumvirate is some of the best villains we've ever had in Star Wars mm-hmm. oh, yeah. for very different reasons. Like not the fact that these people ever got along at some point in time astounds me because they are so different from one another. You got Scion whose existence is literally pain. He cannot die. He's just that angry, that mad. And you have Nihilus who is so out of touch with life that he seeks to destroy life in order to try and find a way to control it and get back to who he used to be. Or has he just, is he just that far gone? We don't know because all he does is all the time and apparently vices can understand them so that's good for her but uh, we're left in the dark and then you get to treya kreya darth treya slash kreya who in my opinion is one of the best written characters in star wars oh yeah and her whole deal of like destroying the force as someone who wields the force why would you ever do that because she sees the endless 
wars that are going to happen as a result of Jedi wanting to protect and Sith and Dark Jedi wanting to control. Yeah. And, you know, she's so on about that that she thinks there should always be somebody trying to fulfill their role. There should always be a Darth Treya. Hmm. Which well, I have it's to the agree. Subtle, make every trilogy better. It's the subtle brilliance. Whether you think George Lucas was accidentally brilliant or if he was intentionally brilliant, it's the subtle brilliance of what he established in the original episodes uh, uh, six, seven, and uh, uh, four, five, four, and five, six, and six. Is you have this universe where history can constantly repeat itself and these things can constantly repeat itself and still have new and interesting adventures in that formula. I mean, I remember hearing one interview, he's like, you know, the stories of episode one, two and three and four, five and six, um, they're, they, they rhyme, but they're different. And you even see that here, the the, the writers of uh, Kotal, even Kotal one and two understood that and were able to craft these narratives um, that really reflected that uh, kind of this has happened once before this is going to happen again and that's what's so fascinating and that's what really makes this a fantasy universe as much as a sci-fi universe is it is very mythological in scale and then you have these almost poetic repeats in history that you can play in yeah one of the things i agree completely with what you're saying that uh, Chris Avalone, who or Avalone, how the heck you pronounce his name, one of the head writers for KOTOR 2, said is that he wanted to deconstruct the elements of Star Wars. And that's why he watched and read everything that had ever been made. I'm talking like source books for uh, RPGs that discontinued after one year of use. I'm talking the Ewoks uh, cartoons. I'm talking the dreaded holiday special. He watched and read all of it to understand what is Star Wars and how do I deconstruct this while I believe at the same time reconstructing what makes Star Wars so great. Now, this gets into the question I was going to ask, and here we go for the controversy here. I got to bring it because of who I am. Many people have drawn parallels between this game and The Last Jedi for being willing to deconstruct the tropes and ideals of Star Wars. As the number one sequel hater myself on this show, I get what they're trying to say. I, I understand what they're trying to say, but I highly believe that this game did it so much better and with more purpose in mind. So what does it say? What do we, what does it say? have to say about the Jedi, the Sith and the force. And is there a fair comparison to be made between this and the last Jedi? Hmm. I think the difference is um, when you have, because I do agree with the parallels. But I think the difference is in the approach of how they looked at Revan and how they looked at Luke. Because Revan really is a parallel to Luke in the sense that if you go, uh, if you go chronologically, if you follow the official canon, you have this dark side Jedi that gets redeemed, uh, much like how you know Luke would hope Anakin would get redeemed, that goes on to save the galaxy, much like Luke went on to save the galaxy. Um, I do see that parallel, but the, what I what I'm trying to say is they handled Luke so poorly in the last Jedi versus, um, uh, uh, Kotar two, 
they understood the reverent, reverent reverence of Revan, and they understood that whether he was a light side or a dark side character, he has this huge impact on this time and this place, and they constructed the game around that. And so I think not actively trying to demean your previous character um, or demean Revan as a character really helps to uh, uh, – Make it so this game make it so this game can exist on its own and be criticized differently from its previous game. If that makes any sense at all, if I'm not rambling like a crazy person, I'm with you 100, percent TJ. So it's I don't think it's outlandish to say that. Uh, I do think we give a lot of credit because Kotor 2 came out before Revenge of the Sith, even. So yes, some of Around the, the same time. Oh yeah, it was like I think it was right after. But it was, it was 05, so it might have been right after. You're right. Because it was, yeah, it was right after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it was still in development, you know, before the movie came out. So a lot of the, like, Star Wars tropes weren't even really tropes yet. I think it helped solidify some of those being the norm. But it's just so much more it's executed so much better, in my opinion. Hmm. And being able to play it out. Like, I, I do The Last Jedi is okay. Not as good as Dance the Old Republic 2. Of course. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I know, TJ, you're more positive on a sequel trilogy than I am overall. Um, I think what you said, Adam, about the reverence, that's a really good word to use for how this is being handled. Because at the end of the day, Chris Avalon became more of a Star Wars fan when he was writing this, even though he has issues with how the story is created, with the mythos and everything behind it, the light and the dark side. Um and Kreia is pretty much his character speaking in the game. If Kreia says something, chances are he believes that. But he still leaves hope in the game because one of the biggest themes of Star Wars, that's why the first film is called A New Hope, because it's introducing in a time where it seems like there's none, we're going to give you something to hope in. And The Last Jedi, after that film is over, I feel no hope. And this is not a Last Jedi bashing session I'm sorry. It's just who I am. Can I have to bring it up. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> have I missed that one? I have things to say on the matter. <laughs> you can join the winning team on that one, but we're almost at an hour here. So for the sake of brevity, I will say, I, like I said, I understand the parallels because both are attempting a deconstruction, but that reverence thing you brought up, Adam, I don't think Ryan Johnson has the same reverence to Star Wars that Avalon did. Now, I think he still likes Star Wars. I think he's a really great director because I rather enjoy uh, Knives Out. I think it's a tremendous film. I have not seen Glass Onion yet. I need I need to watch that. But when it comes to Star Wars, I felt no care for the franchise he was working in. Now, other people are going to say completely different things on that matter, and we can agree to disagree. There's a reason I, I rate the film a, one out, a negative one out of ten. TJ, as the more positive member of this chat, I will give you the last word on this subject before we move to our next question. I still don't think the sequel trilogy is that good. <laughs> and that's the most positive thing we have to say. So if you uh, like the sequel yeah. trilogies, once again, once again, I am not a hater of you. I'm not a hater of the actors. Mm. Sometimes I'm not a hater of the writers involved. It helps when you actually have writers who care. But like, you can have your opinion. I still want to love on you and respect you for your opinions. Like I still talk to Joshua somehow and I, I don't know how that works, but I love him. I, I think it's Jesus. That has to be the end of that. 
I will admit, so, though, not to get it off the top, I did like episode seven. I thought it was a good stall. I just didn't go, didn't take a good next step. You know, it was disappointing in that way. All right. So TJ mentioned Cordoban and uh, a vision we can have there earlier. Uh, we're offered this vision where we have the opportunity to attack Kreia because, surprise, she's a Sith. Uh, and one of the options we're given is that we can say, look, this doesn't matter. Like, you're just a force vision. I'm not going to do anything. And a, a phrase is repeated several times over, and that is apathy is death. Like, what do we feel about this statement? Uh, I think she's spitting. If you can't feel anything, then what's the point? Hmm. Adam? I think she was predicting the outcome. Uh, I think she was predicting the end of Star Wars. Um, uh, uh I think it's. I think it's. I think it was a cool scene. I, I'm trying to think back because you know different things slightly happen depending on what your playthrough is. Um, but but yeah, I I think she's. I think there's some truth in that. I think you know even in a spiritual sense, we as believers we can't just you know we trust in the Lord to to we trust in the Lord to be in control and we trust in the Lord to have everything in His plan, but. There is a call to action, biblical. There is a biblical call to action for us to do things, for us to take part in this world, even though we're not of this world. We take part in it, um, um, and I, I think there's some really valid wisdom in this concept of apathy is death, and uh, it's it's a good reminder spiritually uh, that we need to be active participants in this world and in our faith and in our relationship with God and others. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> Just with more words, as per <laughs> usual. And that's why we love TJ. I, I completely agree with the both of you, no matter how laconic you were with your response. Like, we are called to be ambassadors to this world. We are called to look after the the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, what have you, because guess what? No one else is going to look after them correctly. There may be people in this world who will see their need and out of that sense that God puts in all of our hearts, desire to see them better, but they're not going to do it in the right fashion. And God doesn't say, Hey, look, Hey, don't worry about the widow and the orphan and so on and so forth, because I'm going to do everything for you. Like, no, we are in a broken world. And as part of that, God will still intervene when he chooses to, but he's going to let us give us the opportunity to do the work that is going to bring glory to him because he put us there to do it. And that whole idea of apathy is death. I, there's no better way to put that. If you stop caring about the world, nothing is going to change. Now, what does that mean for you? It could be something completely different for me. It could mean you get more active politically. It could mean that you get you start organizing a soup kitchen. I don't know. All I know is what God has called me to do. I don't know what he's called you to do. And that's something between you and him. And there's going to be something. We are not called here to be static Christians. You had something you want to say, Adam? It starts with a prayer. It starts with praying to not be apathetic. I think Brandon Heath put it best in his song, uh, Give Me Your Eyes. The whole chorus is him praying to understand more, to understand God more completely so he can understand what his part in this world is. You know, and I, I, I'm not going to pull up the lyrics right now because then I'll get super teary-eyed when I do preaching and anytime I have to preach um, from a lyric, I usually end up getting really super teary eyed. So I'm not going to do that to you now, but the whole concept of it, it starts with, 
you know, if anything, if you don't have, if you don't know what to do or don't know where to go, the first thing we should do is pray about it. And the first thing we should say is things like, God, give me your eyes so I can see, give me your heart so I can feel, give me the people, let me see these people you need me to see, dear Lord, and then give me the strength to do what you need me to do. And I think it starts with there. Well said. All right. I know I could easily talk about this for another two hours, but we don't all have that time in our lives. Do you guys have anything else you'd like to discuss before we wrap things up? I think Adden uh, is a better character than Han Solo. Oh, yeah, we, we barely men- mentioned Adden, and he is one of my favorites too. But better than Han Solo? Oof. Go ahead, Adam. I hate Bazak. I hate Bazak. I never played. <laughs> I, love I never Bizarre. tried to play Bazak. I I hate it. I hate it. I, th- I think it's a silly melee game. I never did it in either of the two games. No, I hate it. The swoop racing and Bazak. I'm glad they're optional. Go ahead, DJ. No, I love fictional card games, and Pazak isn't that bad once you learn it. I've tried to play Pazak with real cards before. Yeah. It, it's kind of like Caravan and New Vegas for me. I also like, love Caravan. I, no, I, I've only played it once, excuse me, 30 times total, so I could get that trophy in uh, New Vegas. And excuse me, it was a cheap, and I was playing Xbox then. That's it. I still don't know the rules. When it's brought up as an option, I go, yeah, whatever. I'll play blackjack. I know how to play blackjack. Caravan's easy. It's basically like you're playing blackjack against the dealer in three separate stacks at the same time, and the target's different. I'm glad you understand it. All right. So it's almost like a completely different game. Almost, but not really. (laughs) (laughs) PG and I have already mentioned our scores, but we'll say them again. Adam, how would you rate and review uh, Knights of the Old Republic 2 as a whole? Oh man, um, that is a that is a good one. I would probably give it an eight out of ten. I definitely have some criticisms about the game. I hate that it takes so long to get the lightsaber, and I hate that you pretty much have to go to Koaban or Dantooine to get it. So I feel like it's always making that choice for me that I have to go to one of them to be able to get the pieces for the lightsaber the fastest. Um, and, and then I mentioned it earlier, you know the. Doing doing Talus right after uh, right after uh, Progress. Uh, I'm getting the names all wrong. Doing doing that mission right after the one is really grating. Um, so that's why I would probably give it an eight uh, over uh, over a nine. It's just because those two things they're they're they're, they're really major turnoffs for me when I think about playing through again. Um, and they have talked me out of playing it through again because I'm like, I don't really want to deal with either of those aspects right now. So I give it about an 8 out of 10. Okay, TJ. Uh, 10. Good, because I was about to cut your eye out with the spoon. If you dared, give me a 9.5. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with TJ completely. This game has flaws. We've mentioned them. Uh, not all that we agree on, but there are flaws in this game. It was rushed. It's not their fault it was rushed. But there's something that could have been done better. Guys who are going to play, play on PC, play with the restored content mod. It's Definitely. well worth your time. It's a 10 out of 10 for me. This is my favorite piece of Star Wars fiction that isn't what's going to be in my recommendation. Which, speaking of, does anyone have a recommendation for the audience to check out? In, like, the Star Wars books? Uh, it could be related to this or just in general. Like, hey, I want you to watch this. I want you to see this. I want you to read this. Everyone should read the, uh, the Darth Bane trilogy which TJ and I will be discussing later on. Also, we'll be discussing uh, The Old Republic as well. I will take the back burner on that one because I have not played. I have watched a couple of videos, but TJ will be in charge of that masterpiece. 
Yeah. The old Republic video game. I love that game. I love that game. So we may have um, them again for that one. You can, you can. I've never been it, but I've played through a huge portion of it with all the characters. Um, I, I highly recommend the book, the Revan, the book. I mean, I think the only negative thing about the book Revan is it really does kind of like lock you into the way you view the characters because it is the it is the canon version of the Revan and the Exile. Um, but it is kind of to see. It is kind of fun to see what their lives were like after the game. So if you really like the co- if you really like the two Kotar books, I highly recommend the Revan book. I think it's a good kind of like, and it's a good connection between the old Republic and the, and the original Kotar games. So, all right. As for me, I'm going to do something stupid and recommend the book. That's halfway through an entire set of novels. And that is Traitor by Matthew Stover in the new Jedi order series. It is without a doubt, uh, no hyperbole, one of the books that changed my life and how I looked at things philosophically and how I looked at how the force is handled within Star Wars itself. Obviously, you're going to need a lot of context to get there. So I do recommend the New Jedi Order as well. There's some parts I really like, there's some parts I really don't. But to get to Trader, I'd say it's all worth it. So that's my recommendation. That's our recommendations for all of you. Guys, thank you again for listening today. Uh, please head out to our website at systematicecology.org. You can go there to look at all of our hosts, look at all of our guests as well, to see which episodes we've been on. And as well, you can also suggest future episode topics for us to pick. We also would really like you to go to our Discord, join there, go to our YouTube page, check out the videos we're producing, and join our Patreon, where you can find not only a couple of other people, but more importantly, you can find Drinks with Tejas, where TJ interviews people to ask them about their drinking preferences. You can also find Manga Mustard and Comic Book Ketchup, where we talk about the manga and the comics we're reading. And also, if you would really like to help fund our ventures to go to Comic-Cons and meet you all in person and to help with the maintenance of the website and the payment for all that, please join our Patreon, even if it's only for a dollar. That's all you need to give. If you're capable of doing so, if not, never stretch yourself. We're very grateful for those on our Patreon and the people helping out. So at the end of this, remember we are all a chosen people, a geekdom of priests. This was an Anazal Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazal Ministries podcast network.